This is David McCallum, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a man of many, many talents. He's a musician, songwriter, recording artist, record producer, Emmy-winning comedy writer, and Tony-winning and Grammy-nominated composer. He's released five solo albums of original music and worked with such diverse artists as Queen, Tito Puente, and XTC. He's composed commercial jingles, music for popular TV shows like Boardwalk Empire, and composed the theme song to Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Hell! He's even won an Emmy for writing on Late Night with David Letterman. But it's his work on the Broadway stage that's brought him the most attention and, let's face it, the most tale. As the composer of hit musicals such as The Full Monty, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Bombay Dreams, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and the band's visit, for which he was awarded the Tony and Drama Desk Award for Best Original Score. Both Frank and I saw that show, and now we know why he won the Tony and why he's getting laid like a fiend. In a still young career, he's already worked with people like Larry David, John Lithgow, David Letterman, Salma Hayek, Paul Rudd, Patti Lapone, and our buddy Richard Kind, and yes, even Kathleen Freeman. His new musical and adaptation of the Broadway winning film Tootsie. The what winning film? Oh, uh, Oscar winning, I give up. <laughs> it was so good they gave it an entire avenue. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. His Oscar winning film, uh, fuck it all. Good. Uh, to his new musical, an adaptation of the Oscar winning film Tootsie makes its Broadway debut in the spring of 2019. And, of course, I'll be hitting him up for free tickets. Please welcome to the show a musical renaissance man, a big fan of this very podcast, and, God help him, a fan of my stand-up comedy, (laughs) our pal... David Yazbek. I wouldn't say I'm your pet. But otherwise, everything. <laughs> yeah. A couple of inaccuracies. I never worked with Queen. 
Oh. Uh, I don't know why that's on the internet, that's but it interesting. is. interesting. And then Bombay Dreams is something I wasn't, you're not supposed to know that I helped with a little bit. Uh, well, so it's on every. I don't care. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it, yeah. I'm glad people know. Why are you, why so, are you credited so with working with So basically, can I just uh, say, David Yazbek <laughs> hasn't done shit. <laughs> that's, that is a more appropriate <laughs> <Yeah>. introduction. <laughs> um, why are you connected with Queen? I, the, I, I produced a band called Queen Sarah Saturday, and someone just got it wrong, you know, 15 years ago, and that, so it's up there. Gilbert, I brought you something. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Oh, he uh, loves a guest that brings gifts. I brought you, um, I was at a hotel recently, <laughs> so <laughs> I brought you the uh, so some soap, unused, shampoo, some bath and shower gel, they had the, the nice little uh, kit with the sewing stuff. Excellent. Um, and some pads for your <laughs> yes. ass or for your, or your face. Oh. And then I happened to, I only used one of them, some glycerin suppositories. So oh, he only used we're, one. Yeah, when we're done with this, you're going to need one, <laughs> one more. Yes. One. Yeah. Oh, this is excellent. Yeah. Wow. It's Christmas uh, I, Hanukkah. I, that was I nice promise you, not to start crying on the air. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. I wouldn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> So um, so few guests bring gifts. Well, uh, it's a yes, nice touch. they're assholes, and I'm not. Yes. That's what we're learning here, and that's why the suppository. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if I just start by filleting uh, uh, Gilbert? Go right um, ahead. Instead no, of the other no, way, Mario Cantone already did that. <laughs> oh, so you're done. Mario just left. <laughs> um, uh, when I so I worked at Letterman, uh, some in the first two years that it was on NBC late yes. night, and um, you were on and. When I knew I was coming on, I something triggered in my pea brain, and I remembered the phrase "tepid cheese." Oh yes, and I was like <laughs> "tepid cheese," and then I remembered, started remembering the bit. You came on and you said to the audience, "I thank you, thank you." You're saying thank you. I want to take you home. I want to take you home. <laughs> And string you up by your feet, and then it went on to yeah, there. To and smear cheese, cheese on you. Yeah. Tepid cheese. <laughs> and then you went into the thing about uh, black wax, cheese with the black yeah. wax. And then so I looked it up on, on YouTube. It's there. And uh, it's just such a thrill to be looking at you in person. Do you remember doing the, specifically the tepid cheese, Gil? Believe me, there's no such a thing as remember that bit you used to do. I'm still up there going, uh, hey, how many of you love Robert Mitchum? <laughs> you were telling me on the phone that you even, you even perhaps you remember the first time you saw him at the comic strip? I couldn't or, remember if or it was, was it the, or it was either the, the old comic Carolines? strip or the old Carolines. I, I actually performed at the comic strip. Yeah. Uh, when I very short-lived uh, duet, like a comedy duet with some music, it was terrible. We did a few gigs, and one you of them and Ted was there. Greenberg. No, this was oh, yes, it was me and Ted. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Ted Greenberg was my partner, writing partner on Letterman. Um, I don't think it was at the same night, but I think it might have been the comic strip. And yeah, and it was just a mind-blowing experience. So I'm just a lifelong fan of yours. So. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank what, you, what was thank your you for your. For your contribution to my very diseased brain. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, what was your stand-up act like? Because I didn't ask you that on the phone. It was it, it it was dicey. You know, we did a song called "Gay Gaucho," really in, politically incorrect. <laughs> Gay Gaucho. Um, you, you know, I, I don't even remember what the actual back and forth comedy stuff was. It it was just a way to get up on stage and not be scared because you're 
a real comedian doing yes. a solo, you know. Mm -hmm. it, and then you sort of thought, oh, well, there's permission to do that because of Franken and Davis. And, yeah. But, but we shouldn't have had permission to do it. We Really? We, you weren't feeling it? We and, weren't feeling it, but we were good writers and we wrote later we wrote yeah, on Letterman yeah, and it was fun. Yeah. So yeah. And and you you say you don't understand the Cesar Romero thing. <laughs> no, no, I think I do. Yeah. Oh, he's good. I've been he's got insight. Of, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like why why do you want now maybe it's a fool's errand to start thinking about what why does certain things turn on turn people on. Yeah. So but I was really trying to use sense memory <laughs> to sort of yeah. to sort of get into Cesar Romero's head. Uh, or, so into to speak, or into his ash. Yeah, deeply. Um, I'm going to recap for new listeners. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Caesar I'll let Gilbert Romero. do it. Caesar Romero. <laughs> um, he was, you know, in movies, he was a Latin lover. And more famously, he was the Joker in the Batman series. But in real life, he was gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And. Um, he his thing that he was into was to pull down his pants and underwear and surround himself with these young boy toys and they'd be instructed to fling orange wedges at his ass. You got to wonder who was doing the instructing. Was yeah. there a was there a, a, a lackey who would explain I the think rules? Burgess or? Meredith in <laughs> his penguin outfit would instruct them. There may have, there may have been a houseboy. There may have been a, you know, and an aide de camp. Some, <laughs> some argue it was tangerine slices. And one person even said that Cesar Romero would stand ankle deep in warm water. Yeah, but those are Philistines, the yeah, people who think yes. that. Oh, yeah. that was one of your guests added that, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, it's um, grown. The legend has grown. Well, I've thought about it because, and I understand why someone might think, oh, tangerine, because that's easily peeled, easily turned into wedges, but I don't think so. I think it was yeah. cut oranges. Now, so I was imagining standing there surrounded by, you know, hopefully – Boy toys with good throwing arms. Yes. You know, because you don't want them just dinking it at you. No. You don't want them. So I think that there was something about the, and, and I do think it needed the peel. I think there was something about the the splatter effect, the pain, the little bit of pain, that feeling that maybe there's something organic hitting mm, you. Interesting. There's, and then I can imagine, almost imagine what? that becoming an erection. Shouldn't be an entire orange? No, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Yeah. And this is the other part of this story. <laughs> I was. Ju I just saw a really highfalutin, high class movie called The Favorite. Called uh, the Emma Stone picture. The Emma Stone yeah. picture. And there's a scene. <laughs> I heard they talk <laughs> about. Yes. Yes. They and just, I'm I'm suing them for plagiarism. <laughs> maybe you should go see it first, or maybe just see this that yeah. scene. It's a it's a it's kind of a a, a very pasty fat uh, English man with a with a wig, like an 18th century wig, but otherwise he's naked. And a bunch of other guys in wigs are just winging whole oranges at him. And I realized that isn't satisfying until the orange splats and breaks. You can guarantee it if you cut it up that you're going to get the wetness, the orange, the splat. <sighs> That's Fuck them. They what? stole it from me. Okay. You're right. You deserve <laughs> I'm glad you put so much thought into this. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. And I mean, I, I – We've never I, had a guest I, that debated this. So no. So that really – I broke this down this way. Do you think he ever had a coconut thrown at his head? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you a still picture from a Love Boat episode where he's Cesar Romero is actually reaching for a tray of oranges. And I made my oh, wife perfect. stop the TV 
so that I can run and get my phone and take a picture. Yeah, I want to see the facial expression. Well, when we met, yeah, I should say when you and I met, we were working on the CBS project, and you you flattered us because you you wore an orange wedge pin. Oh yeah, to oh the, my god, uh, to the proceedings. That was my. I mean, what a lovely gift. That was your gift to me. Yes. You didn't know yes. it, but yes, yeah, I've lost mm. it since then, so I'd like another oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> we can hook you up. I actually wore it to some award ceremony or something, and I and it just fell off because it's not, it wasn't on well. So. You're saying our merch is poorly constructed. Yes. Well, that's, we, I think we that's what I'm saying. We put out cheap merch. I'm trying <laughs> to figure out how to sue you for that. <laughs> our friend Michael Weber wore it to the Oscars, which thrilled us to uh, to no end. That's nice. And he didn't win. <laughs> Asshole, loser. I'll win it. To, I'll wear it to the Grammys. I, I mean, be, I wonder, yeah. Tell us about the Grammy nomination. Well, Bands Visit cast album, um, which I produced with Dean Sharon. Now, thank you. It's it's actually a great album. Like it's, I'm very proud of it as an album, not just the show. Um, and so, you know, the the award that that category they mm-hmm. give you at 9 a.m. or something, and it, you so you'll you won't see me on television, but I'll wear the pin. Listen, and, we'll take it. And you are a fan of like the same, and you saw the same TV. Kitty TV host that we grew up on. Oh, of course. Of New Yorker. Course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Captain Jack. Um, yeah. And Captain Jack would show the Popeye cartoons. Yes. Captain Jack Three McCarthy. bells and all as well. That's yes. him. Very yes. good. And he would end the show with, well, time and tide wait for no man. <laughs> <laughs> There's Officer Joe Bolton. Sure. Yes. Um, Who would do the swing the Swing the thing. You know, he was a pig. And uh, he, would, he would he would show 60s. the three stooges. Yep. And I think it would be like like, you know, Monday and Wednesday would be curly and Tuesday and Thursday shemp. And then <laughs> yeah, like right. the whatever day was left, Joe Bessa. <laughs> but I have a I have a memory of and I maybe I just heard it on this show, but I have a memory of seeing the depressing old Mo on yes, one of their shows. Yes, he was. He was. Ah. I remember I, I I was a little kid and I was watching it and all of a sudden my mother was in the kitchen and I started yelling out, It's Mo <laughs> Mo is on <laughs> Which he did even when he didn't Mo what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when did you become a black mother? And Mo. and and he had his hair. Down, you know, yeah. in oh, bangs. Yeah. 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 Was it around the era where he co-hosted on the Mike Douglas show? Uh, yes. Which you can see on yes. YouTube. I saw that. Very I remember old, that. Old Mo. I, I, um, my father likes to tell me that my first words, this is another uh, flashback to New York television, or maybe it was national, when I was whatever you are, one and a half or something, it wasn't mama, it wasn't dad, it was Diver Dan. <laughs> Do you remember, I remember yes. Diver Dan? That Those was, really sure. cheap puppets. Yeah. yeah, just hanging there, these fish puppets hanging in front of him. That's Somehow a, he could talk to them through the through the helmet. That's but, a very old memory. Yeah. So that's a nice boring memory for the listeners. Yeah. Do you remember Beachcomber <laughs> Bill though? Does yes. anybody remember him? Yeah, but only from only And Sandy Becker. Of course I remember Sandy Sa- Becker. Do you know Sandy Becker one time combed his hair? He showed how to make a part in your hair. And for a while after that, I used to comb my hair with a part. I had my hair was <laughs> longer and I would like comb it out, make the like part and then brush it. Thanks to Sandy Becker. Yes, thanks to Sandy Becker. I'm having a false memory yeah. that I saw that, I'm, with, I think. With I, I, Norton Nork. 
He played Norton Nork. Wow. And Eba Giba. Oh my yes. God. Yeah. Holy yes. cow. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and and Sonny Fox. Um, yeah. You hear what Sonny, who you've Sonny had? Yeah. Sonny um, Fox was a guest on this show. Yeah, I heard yeah, it. He, heard he it. was amazing. amazing. His stories are incredible. Yeah. You know, um, I wasn't expecting anything. No, that Sonny Fox brought the to Wonderama the show. host turns out was a you know <laughs> this amazing life. A World War, World War II, II guy. Did you want to get on Wonderama? Yes, of course, everybody. Yeah. And I had friends who did, and I was very jealous of them. How'd they get on? Probably they must have known. They blew Sonny Fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Bob McAllister. I yeah. think Bob, Bob McAllister. I'm pretty sure someone blew Bob McAllister. Does anybody here have an aardvark? Which is a one of those songs that's just. Yeah, it shouldn't be It'll in my head. Never it, leave. Yeah, it doesn't never leave. Did you? Do, what was the thing you told me about you and Bob McAllister? Something I, about you know. I grew up in New York City on the on the Upper West Side mostly, and I just have this memory of being in the park, and uh, I I don't remember how old I was, eight years old or something. And there was Bob McAllister, and he was playing frisbee, I guess, with his kids. Like maybe he had two sons, and I was with a friend, and we just sort of entered the frisbee game. But he was winging that free. He was winging it like to adults, you know, like it was a dangerous. There was anger, and I felt like this is an angry man. Maybe he didn't like kids. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You go? Did you go in for all the sort of the million dollar movie and all that? All that New York programming. Well, the million dollar movie is like chiller it, theater. Like I almost start crying when I think of the credits at the beginning because they use the Gone with the Wind theme. Yeah. So, so way way before I ever saw yeah. Gone with da, the Wind. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. But instead of the Civil War, what you'd see is this in, this black and white New York, so romantic. These like taxi lights and the and a skyline or something, and it just like it oh, still yeah. gives me the chills. Me and I that. think it was the Channel Five News that oh. used uh, the music from Cool Hand that's actually very good. That's from Magnificent Seven, but Cool yeah, and Luke oh, was yes, 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 perfect for the news. Then you watch Cool Hand Luke, and it sort of ruins those moments. I'm sure, it does. You're going, yeah. wait, why are they playing the news <laughs> theme? <laughs> yeah. Is that Max Steiner that got that Taurus theme that Gone with the Wind theme? Oh, maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. Not certainly not the Cool Hand Luke. That was probably Max Jerry Steiner Goldsmith. Did the King Kong theme. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Max guessing. Steiner did a I'm everything. Guessing, yeah. I'm guessing it was him. I might be misspeaking. Max Steiner was the one who Betty Davis said uh, in Dark Victory, you know, she said, look, at the end when she goes up the, the stairs, she goes, she goes, look, either I'm going up that staircase or Max is going up that staircase. <laughs> you know, like just the idea that mm -hmm. she knew exactly what he would do as, as she was going yeah. up the staircase. Speaking of Kitty Show hosts, we also had Chuck McCann here. Yeah, now he was great. A man that I met. Tell me about that, because that's interesting. Well, I, you know, I sort of idolized him. Even as a little kid, I could appreciate the quality, that sort of improvisational quality of every day coming up with this stuff. Can you and imagine? Just, no. And yeah. putting these little white discs in your eye and saying, I'm Little Orphan Nanny, and then there's a theme song. Yeah. Little Orphan Nanny never had a mammy. She <laughs> was a something little girl with her hair in And it. I remember... Dick Tracy, he was the arm of the law. Dick Tracy, he had a bulldog jaw. Dick Tracy, better do what he say. Time, crime doesn't never pay. Now there's a lyric. Chuck was working hard, but you to know, turn that stuff out. But he, I just, I my my parents had a house on in Salt Air in Fire Island when I was little and. 
someone there was a McCann family out there, and on one magical summer weekend, this yacht pulls up to our dock, not a yacht type dock, mm-hmm. and it's not only is it a yacht, it's Chuck McCann's yacht. Love so there it. was Chuck McCann, you know. It was it was just a thrill. Alan Alda came to the same little little town in like nineteen set in the midst of the mash thing. I oh, heard cool. your interview was great with Thank Alan you. Alda. We had fun. And with I thought him. of that and I just thought he he land he got off the ferry boat and from the moment he got off the ferry boat till two days later when he got on the ferry boat, everything he did, there was Thirty-five people saying, "Alan Alda's going to play tennis." Alan Alda's going to play tennis. Oh, poor guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> well, he's got a weird relationship with that kind of celebrity, as you would, yeah. because it, you know we we mentioned it on the show. He was his face was more recognizable to students than Amazing. Abe Lincoln. Yeah, which disturbed Amazing. him. Yeah, deeply, and the guy couldn't <laughs> yeah. do anything. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And did you attend a, a recording of Chuck McCann? Uh, was that so? This is Earl Dowd. Like, this is of limit. Yeah, this could be of. Gilbert well, you will know dig what? this. With this show, it's actually. I think it's very interesting. Actually, when I, when I was, um, we can talk about Alan Sherman because that's like a massive yeah. influence oh, we'd love for to me. Talk about Alan Sherman, but even so, even as a little kid, I would hear Alan Sherman and you know sort of be fascinated by it. But there was a the record that and you've talked about it a lot. The first family. Uh, was you know one of the f- first records that was a giant gold record comedy record yeah, Vaughn Meter uh, Vaughn Meter yeah so um, Earl Dowd was the was the sort of force behind that he was one of the writers and producers of that maybe the writer the main writer and he wrote a lot of different talented stuff. guy very talented guy big just very fat and very tall and he had a little goatee and he was a friend of my parents um, in the same place and on the beach uh, out on the, out on the island and. Uh, uh, I'm just remembering his townhouse. Like he made so much money on that album, and he was one of those guys who just spent it. Yeah, that album and was a, a, now, a juggernaut. It was a I, juggernaut. I heard that Alan Sherman. He's one of those people who was not prepared for fame in any way. Oh, that's, well, that's a tragic story. Yeah, the Earl Dowd story is is less tragic, but. Because he was already he was married happily, you know. But he b- bought weird things like a kinkajou, which is like a he creature, bought a kinkajou, yeah, a creature yeah. from Australia, yeah. like a nocturnal creature that bit my father. Um, <laughs> oh my but God. but the Earl Dad story is simply that he did his his next album was called Spiro Tiagnu is a riot, and I used to listen to that, and that was funny with Stanley Myron Handelman. With Stanley oh Myron Handelman, God, yeah. yes, um, yeah. wow. Uh, yeah. And then the next album he did. Um, or maybe it was the Spiro Tiagnu one. My dad took me to the recording session. That's so cool. they do two sessions usually. There's an audience. It was in a big studio in New York City. And for me, it was a, a, a big moment because, A, it was really smart comedy. I was probably eight, you know. And I'm just – and I was already – like there were two things that were fascinating to me. And one was comedy and the other was music. But in this case, it was this recording studio. So I got to see these people – with microphones and this amazing studio with a grand piano and 
it it sticks in my mind very clearly as a major point That's for me great. of wanting to be in studios, wanting to be around comedy, wanting to be around music. So. Pat McCormick was on that album too. Alan Sherman, like everything that he liked before. Now he could get much like eating and drinking and, and screwing. I mean, yeah, like he probably he. I doubt he had a lot of luck. I mean, I think he was married and sort of in that sort of line of just straight life, kind of. Yeah, and then boom, just massive. I think it was the fame even more than the fortune because he was already producing television shows yeah. and making money. But that fame, all of a sudden, that glow, that false glow that you get, and he couldn't deal with it. But he was. Still a brilliant, brilliant man. Yes. Um, you folks were playing those albums in the house? They had my son, the folk well, singer. and, and, and I, I, the- I had a music teacher and uh, it, at the school that I was going to who actually played us My Son, the Folk Singer. My Son, the singer. Nut. I think the first was my son, the folk singer, Mike's the folk and it's, singer. This, it's 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 his it's a woman holding yeah. like a rubber chicken. Yeah, you know? and I remember hearing it, and some of it I could appreciate even when I was that young, like seven. Wow, but there was some of it I didn't understand what was going on, but the audience response on the album was so genuine and so explosive yes. that it was exciting and you couldn't help but laugh. And to me, that's till this day, that is the bar. That is the the gold standard for laughter when I'm writing for the theater, you know, for mm-hmm. a song or something. If if I hear that kind of genuine laughter, rolling laughter, explosive laughter, then I feel like then I pat myself on the back and feel good. That's about all that makes That's me feel interesting. Because because <laughs> he was hot enough that 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 laughter probably wasn't juiced. That that was that was legit. He was the well, it was legit, and it, and it was it was it was also the laughter of a group of people, mainly sort of educated Jews, yeah. that were finally hearing jokes that just total. Same with Mel Brooks. Like they were just for the first time hearing these jokes that um you know uh you know where I. Uh, a joke about having a connection in dry goods in Shaker Heights. Sure. You know, but it rhymes with, and it's to the tune of, uh, you know, Greensleeves. Or he's doing it, it My is, Zelda. Right. Harry it Bellafonte. is a funny thing because it's like, you know, there were always Jewish comics, God knows, and like Marx Brothers, Benny, Burns, Burl, everybody. But the idea of someone just where you go, oh, that guy is a Jew. Like the others could have been anything. That's right. But it's like he came out and it looked like some, you know, Jewish accountant. Owned it. Well, Mickey, yeah. Mickey Katz first, really. Yeah. To do, oh. Doing that, you know, doing it before Sherman. Yeah, but Mickey Katz was a clown. Yes. And Alan Sherman was a satirist. Um, yeah. Although Alan Sherman has one of my favorite singing voices. Like famously, he can't sing. That's great. But it's like a great, it's, it, it know, is. it's a great voice. Um, but he, he, uh, he, he was doing something, even Nichols and May were doing great, funny stuff. Mm-hmm. And you knew if you're Jewish, you know that, you know, that mother character is sort of Jewish. But they weren't using sure. Yiddishisms or Jewish names, you know. He was just like, it was just this amazing, you know, American folk and British and yeah. European folk music. But we're now we're going to take it and we're going to put matzo balls in it. Yeah. And, and, and members of the and Sheila. Harvey <laughs> and Sheila. <laughs> My Zelda, she took the My money and ran, ran with, with the, the tailor. tailor. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it took me years. Now, I'm listening to this stuff at the age of 10. I'm not even Jewish, so I don't get the, the cultural references. <laughs> well, see, that's the other thing. I this, didn't know it was a Belafonte The same song. teacher who taught us, who played that for us, also 
would we would all sing out of the Firesign Book of Folk Songs, which was this kind of at the time kind of famous compendium of, of of folk songs from around the world. So I know all these folk songs, and some of them were the ones that Alan Sherman took. Um, so when I heard, you know, uh, he was he was tramping through the warehouse where the, the drapes, drapes of Roth, Roth are stored. Yes, that was like. <laughs> That's the best wordplay I've ever heard. It's great. So then again, there's a gold standard, you know. He was a good writer, too. Yeah, because it's, it's not easy to do that. I remember no. the songs on that album. No, it's right. not It's not easy. And, and, and coming up with the idea of, you know, he aimed and, and he fired with his, uh, he, care, he took careful aim with his trusty revolver. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I shot and he crumpled just like a piece halva. <laughs> <laughs> What synapse do you have to have firing to go there? I remember little David Suskind, please shut, shut up. up. Please, please don't, don't talk. talk. Please, please don't, don't talk. talk. Little David Suskind, me first, first, then you talk. <laughs> and that's not that's not clever wordplay. It's is. just perfect cadence of a Jewish guy saying, "Please yeah. shut up." I, you know, that's great. It's great. And then you said the cultural references of the time. I mean, a Jackie Kennedy joke would just go over. There's a Jackie Kennedy joke in my Zelda. See how this? No, it's in um, Jump how, Down, Turn Around. Oh, it's See how this turn, one looks on. It's, it's uh, Frick a dress of cotton. Frick a dress yeah, of cotton. That's it. See how this one looks on me? Just, just like Jackie Kennedy. Kennedy. And, and just, the, you're with the audience. The crowd goes practice. wild. <laughs> Even now, you're like, you, and then you just appreciate it. It's great comedy. It's What's just wrong great. with us that this is what you were, we were listening to when you were six and I was ten? And you know what was strange? <laughs> That's right. In that time period was like they'd do the top five songs of the week and they'd be like the Rolling Stones and then they'd be Barbara Streisand. Right. Bob Dylan right. and Frank Sinatra, and in the in that would be Alan Sherman. Right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I think. Um, or Ray Stevens doing a doing a parody song, or a humor song. Yeah, I mean, the I guess the first Alan, big Alan Sherman hit was um, "Hello Mata Hello Fada." Yeah. Or maybe it was Sarah Jockman, because there is a there's a there's a story that love that one. They used to every now and then in the Kennedy in the in in the Camelot, you know. You'd hear John Kennedy walking down this, the hall singing Sarah Jockman, you know, or something like that. How's your cousin Doris? She's with Philip William Morris. Morris. She's with William Morris. Yeah. He's nice too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, if you have, if just to your listeners, just just go online. You, yeah, find you know, them. You got this thing. You got this computer now where you can just hear anything you want. Go to listen to Alan Sherman. It's it's the absolute some of the best stuff ever and everyone agrees you know al yankovic agrees you oh know. yeah we talked um, about it yeah i mean all of us who write funny songs i mean i write all kinds of songs but funny songs are the hardest to write that's that's one of the kings of it and you, you know? do love a play on words in your in your songwriting which i which i appreciate thank you it's it i can't remember my own stuff but <laughs> <laughs> although i did i did do one song where it's a french guy telling you that you can't you, you can't polish a turd like you it's from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels you can't dress just dress this guy up and expect that people are going to buy that he's like high class so the, the very end of the song he goes buy him a castle he'll still be an asshole and nothing he'll do so I felt like I got the little the French thing and the well, ch chimp in a suit is uh, yeah chimp in a suit yeah, yeah that's such a song in a suit 
with your eau de toilette and you're still gonna get a stench Dump on him well in a quart of Chanel it won't cover the smell I should know I'm French take him to see it, it shows all, it almost you could see almost an Alan Sherman influence no question yeah. I worked very hard on that song and what's interesting about it is we took it out of the show after uh, the, the that was the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels yeah yeah and actually, Richard Kind sang that song when he came in to the show. Um, can, can you do Richard Kind singing that song? <laughs> Dress up a monkey in Armani. He may seem precocious and cute. Despite all that primping, you still got a chimpin a suit. <laughs> and I, kept, <laughs> I remember having this argument with him. Like, as soon as I met him, we were best friends. Like, everyone's like that with him. So we just start arguing. And he goes... Despite all that primping, you still got a chimp in a suit. And I'm like, Richard, you're ruining. <laughs> Could you help me a little bit? You don't have to put a comma there. And he's like, No, I want to do it. I wanted to put my own spin on it. I was like, No, no, no. <laughs> help me out. Put your own spin yeah. on it. <laughs> you're, you, there was you, there was a lot of music in your house as, when you were a kid. I know, but your your parents uh, comedy albums too. Were you were they? It's not like they were like, big comedy fans, they but they didn't, they didn't discourage that. Uh-huh. You know, I don't think, I think probably I brought the Alan Sherman record home from school or something like that. Did you but, listen to Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart and that stuff too? And I did went, later. The winters, yeah. I, you know, you like discovered I, all that I went stuff. in that phase when I was just like, I forget what age I was at. There was one, there was a point at like 16 when I just listened to every comedy record possible. I guess it probably was, it, it went back from, uh, Class Clown from Car- oh, yeah, from Carlin, great, great and then I was like, "All right, I'm going to go." And then the Smothers Brothers and all that stuff. Sure. Um, and you know, there's so much great stuff. Gil, did you so. buy comedy albums? Uh not really. I mean, yeah. I think uh, the Myron Cohen albums. No, no, uh-huh. I didn't. And you know, there was something eerie later on about listening to comedy albums because now they don't seem. Now that you're used to seeing the comic. On film, it's like it's something creepy about comedy albums. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Alienating kind of or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, I, I wouldn't I, – I can't apply that to someone like Alan Sherman or the Smothers yeah. oh, Brothers yeah. because it's music. But it's, yeah. yeah, I get it. You're I a Spike Jones like, fan too because we were talking about Spike Mickey Jones Cats. Fan. That's funny. That's because yeah. uh, we had on Joel Gray – and he was talking Mickey about Cats his right in that chair. Cats That's so cool. Being, yeah. Which is hysterical when you listen to Spike Jones. I mean, Sp- the thing about Spike Jones is that's how, you know some of it's song parody. You know, it's all it's all sort of parodies of songs. But he was able to. How can music be funny when the lyrics aren't happening? And so he was parodying the score. You know, and he had his own whole thing. And if you look at the, if you go online and you look at old live television. Uh, you know, kinescopes or whatever of mm-hmm. Spike Jones. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, it's amazing what you're watching. You're seeing this breakneck version of Cocktails for Two yeah. with this this lunatic Irish guy 
um, apparently drunk all the time from what, from what I've read. <laughs> like whacking this pole that has, you know, like a car horn, uh-huh. uh, five cowbells, and a gun, a working <laughs> gun, you know, and he's the percussion. And then there's like a band of 12 people, a trombone player who can stand on his head while playing a solo. I Mickey know. Katz is over here. They don't do it anymore. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's a, gr- a I, great period of show business that will yeah. never come again. No, it won't. And, and his son tried to bring it back, and it just didn't. Sometime in the 70s, Spike Jones Jr. Yeah. Doesn't. So fair know. to say, as a kid, you knew you were going to take one of two directions. You knew you were going to uh, go into music or comedy. Those were the things that were driving you at the yes, very least. Yes, or, bo- or both. Or both. Yeah. Somehow a writer, not necessarily a comedy writer, but then, but it was pretty clear that that's how I would veer. Music, yeah. I mean, I was always in bands. and yeah. tell, tell Gilbert some of the names of these bands, which I think he would appreciate. Because... Oh, that I was in? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was in a band. The first band that I was in, uh, we called uh, we called ourselves Pure Shit. That was my idea. <laughs> and we called ourselves, it was simply so when we were done, the MC could say, ladies and gentlemen, that was pure shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's like from the people who gave you head. Yes. <laughs> oh, you the know, monkeys. The monkeys, yeah. the monkeys yeah. joke. Yeah, 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 you had a band, a band called Coke Machine. Well, in college, <laughs> moon, moon I didn't tell you about Coke Machine, did no, I? No, I don't think you told in me. In college, we had a band called Coke Machine. It was a funk band, and and uh, it was you know like a mixed race kind of seven piece, just the coolest possible college band. And we were like the big band in Providence for a couple of years, and uh, uh, opened for some cool people and played at some cool places. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't a fan of cocaine, but everyone else really seemed to be. Uh, in the band. <laughs> um, what was the other one? Uh, uh, moon Pudding. Oh, Moon Pudding. Moon Pudding. <laughs> moon Pudding was our little jazz. Deep research here, Jazz David. band in college. Um, again, a, a, a double entendre, sort of, what's the mellowest food? Well, we decided pudding was the mellowest food. And the moon is kind of mellow, but it also could refer to diarrhea discharging from your ass. So Moon Pudding. Yeah, Moon wow. Pudding. So, thank you. excellent. Did you, did you know where thank he was you. going with that? It's very <laughs> subtle and intellectual. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's um, like Benchley. I'd just like to mention at this juncture that uh, my show, The Band's Visit, won 10 Tone Awards. <laughs> <laughs> my, subtle, my subtle and moving show currently on Broadway. <laughs> but I think, your, I think your journey is interesting because you were, you were forming bands. You were kind of doing your own thing. You had rock star dreams. You know, it's funny how people's careers don't take the path well, that they intended. A, it takes a circular path. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're if you're really directed like like Gilbert was, then you work on your craft, you do it, you do it, you do it, you know, and you you just keep doing it. For me it's always been this kind of serpentine uh, to quote the, the the good version of the in-laws. Yes. Um serpentine yes. um thing. So, yeah, so um I mean, you couldn't and, have imagined yourself being a being a Broadway composer no, in those days. No, 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 not at all. I mean, that's but interesting. I, but to I, could, me. I also couldn't imagine as much as I wanted it. I couldn't imagine being a a professional comedy writer either. And there, and I was, and I sometimes still am. You know, so yeah. And then I got a record deal. You know, the the trajectory is weird. It's like it's not I'm, direct. It isn't direct. I no. went to college, got out of college. My first job out of college was the Letterman Show. You went to Brown. You know, I went to Brown, uh, yeah. where I played in bands the whole time. Right. So, it's, but you'd think, oh, then you get out and then you start playing in a band. But I got the Letterman gig, so that was that. And then, while doing that, saving money, 
um, something that I I know you're you're uh, <laughs> 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 it's an expert at. Um, and, <laughs> so, you did bring him toiletries. I did. Free toiletries. I mean, I understand. So you know, believe you know. me. Um, to you know, to saving the money and then buying into a recording studio and then making demos and then getting a record deal. Um, so, uh, uh, but then also still writing some pilots and you know like. So you, had, you always bounce. had one foot in. You, even when you left Letterman, you kept a foot in. Yeah, and in I sort comedy. of still do. Like I pitched, I pitched some, I pitched a couple of TV shows last year. You know, comedies. Interesting. You know, just because they were good ideas that with people I liked. So you're still you doing know. it now. Was Sometime. the band's visit? I'm all confused. Was it based on a true story? No, no, no. Uh, the the guy, the movie, the band's visit is an Israeli film by Aaron Cohen. Yeah, I saw that. It's beautiful film, and it really almost much better than the play. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to mention, I'd like to mention, oh much God. less expensive as well. <laughs> in, uh, fact, in fact, don't see the show. Yeah. Just, just watch the movie. <laughs> but do buy the album. Um, yes, definitely uh, buy the album. No, so it, it sort of came out of like oh, his sort of. He's just a, he's a wonderful writer and filmmaker, and and it came out of his imagination. Um, and you turned it down because you like to turn things down. What the band? Was your first approach? Well, I semi turned it down, but but I sort of was a little intrigued, so I went to the meeting. It was that kind of thing. But I always do that. Like I, it takes me a while to. That's interesting. Hook too. in. Yeah. Had you seen the film when the, when you were when you were approached? No, I saw it after I was approached. Yeah, and I loved it. But didn't that doesn't mean it would make a good show? Right. You but know? you made a connection to the music because of that childhood experience when you were with your yeah. dad and the taxi cab. And yeah, I mean. My, you know, that's the, most, interesting the too. most indelible experiences for me are come came through the ears. You know, for some people, it, it's like tastes. You know, like your mother's kugel. You know, although I hate kugel, so that's not even. <laughs> um, you know, but the the uh, it was sounds. And when I was pretty young, like seven, I think I was. I was in Lebanon. My mm-hmm. father's Lebanese. My mother's the, the Jewish side is my mother. Arab size, my father. And his mother's half um, Italian, I'd like to throw in. Sicilian, a little Sicilian. Yeah. This is a very strange company. <laughs> it is, it is. And I, my brain tried to come up with some joke involving circumcision and lasagna, but it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Who's that guy with the show, my mother's Italian, my father's Jew? No oh, wonder I'm crazy. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I don't remember his he name. He built an entire career out of it. I don't remember his name. Um, <laughs> remember the commercials. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you were in this car, in this cab in Lebanon. If you're a centaur, you they could was, say, my mother's a human, my father's a horse. <laughs> a phoenix. Of course I'm a phoenix. Fa- yeah. uh, oh, forget the name of everyone, the great rock producer. Oh, Delsner. Delsner. Ron Delsner. Yeah, we had Delsner. Delsner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ron Delsner said Thank you. that he's uh, half Italian and half Jewish, and he said... If I can't get it for you wholesale, I'll steal it. <laughs> He's been dining out on that line for about um, 45 years. Yeah, that's great. It's yeah. a great line. If you got to remember one line, that's the one to remember yeah. if you're him. Um, I'm, I've forgotten it already. Um, what, what were you, oh, so I was in Lebanon and I heard this, mu- this sort of weird Arabic, it was Egyptian music. It turned out it was Um Kultum, who's a was like bigger than Sinatra. I'm ashamed time. to say that until I saw the band's visit, I did not know who Um Kultum was. That's fine. And, I mean, it's, and now it's, I'm digging it. Other hemisphere. I have all our albums. <laughs> it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound all like their a, albums. It, the name yeah. does sound like yeah. a character from like Crazy Cat or, or like Kaja Gugu. Yeah, one of those yeah, bands Kaja with Gugu. a nonsense name. <laughs> um, she. she 
And it wasn't necessarily, I know it was her because I remember the voice. It was just the flavor of it. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking the cab driver, what is that? And he said, you don't know. You know, it was. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So I've been a fan of that that genre of music as well as a lot of other genres too. Um, and so I didn't like the, I, I enjoyed the idea of diving into that type of music. That world. And I did for several years and it was great. I know. think it's fascinating what you say too about hearing something and being brought back. Does your memory work that way, Gilbert? Uh, yeah. We did these top 40, remember we did the one hit wonder shows? Can you remember hearing a song, hearing a hit from the 70s? Do you remember say, where you were? Like, yeah. if you remember it, Everything. I mean, yeah, for someone who can't yeah, really sing, you freaky. remember everything. <laughs> it's not who that says you, he can't and sing? And incidentally, it's not that you can't sing. It's just that you have no rhythm. Like, you can sing. <laughs> but you just don't. And then actually, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna make Burger, a. Burger Rose is loving this. I'd like to make a. I just like to guess at something. I actually think you probably do have rhythm, but you just don't care. Like, because yeah. I'm listening to you singing to this, you know, to like the, uh, the band in a box stuff. And there's a beat. And you just don't care. You're like you're like six <laughs> beats ahead. Like you just want to get get it. Yeah, get yeah. through it. I like, gave David. A, I, I gave him a shot at it. I wrote to him and I said, you know, when we have musicians on the show, Gilbert likes to yes. to sing, and he writes back, "What would we?" And he puts in quotes, "Sing exactly." <laughs> He dodged it. I'm sorry. I shot the gun and he dodged. Sorry it. About he that. dodged the bullet. <laughs> but like, there's a song. Yeah, you have a memory of Top 40 music. There was a song called Precious and Few. Precious and Few. Yeah, that's the one. Are the moments yeah, we yeah. the song. Yes. Uh, okay. You remember where you were? Absolutely. And this is freaky. I remember what I was eating, and I remember which comic book I was reading. Which issue of the Fantastic Four I was reading when I when I decided I loved that song. I get it. Yeah. So those songs take me back. It's Proustian. It, that's your that's your Madeline. That's that's there there are so many weird things that break well smell. Is a direct. It's a big one, yeah. 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 But I'm like David. It's it's it sounds a lot of it comes through the ears, yeah, for me too. And yeah. You know what else I find weird? Well well being on you know, in T V shows and movies. Oh, I'll, you're in T V shows and movies? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch a, a movie or TV show I was in years ago and I'll see a scene and I'll go, Yeah, I remember I was really depressed that day. Oh yeah. And that, and I'll go, or I, I had a bad headache when I did yeah. that. I remember those. I, things. I, rem I, I had a, some, I had a something like that. We, we uh, DVR'd Boys Town, on TCM, and Spencer Tracy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching it, and uh, it was almost violent, like a flashback to my old room on the Upper West Side, and wow. it, and I was sick at home. I don't know why it was on television. There was no VCRs or anything like that. And and I do I have the memory of the what exactly what the light coming through the window was and how I felt. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of memory. like when I watch a movie or TV thing. I was in. It's kind of like looking through. Uh, oh, you're talking about when you were in it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Because right. uh, it'll be like looking through a photo album. And I'll go. I remember that day. And it'll be. I'll see myself in something. And I'll go. Oh yeah, I remember this happened that day. Oh, but but that. can you remember like when you're seeing yourself doing a take? Do you have a memory of? Can you get inside your head at the time and sort of have a memory of, the, you know, being on that set and, and yeah, that? yeah. Sometimes that'll all come back. Wow, yeah. <laughs> 
funny. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Can weird. you remember uh, when you play one of your songs? Because you occasionally perform live. Do you remember when I wrote this? This was happening to me. Yeah, sometimes. But most of my songs I've sung so many times that uh, I, that I I can remember it, but I don't think about it while I'm performing. Mm-hmm. There's one or two songs. There's one in particular where. There's just a lyric. It happens to be about my son, and I wrote it when he was really little. And I have to prepare myself when I'm coming up to that section because I will choke up like an amateur, oh, <laughs> like a sissy boy something amateur. something sweet yeah. about yeah. that. I have to talk, talk about this, too. The band's uh, visit director, and I, I'm sorry I didn't write his name the down. genius David Cromer? The David Cromer. I say the genius because he's a bona fide genius because he won the MacArthur uh, uh, Grant. I mean, first, in my opinion, everybody associated with that show did Thank such, you. Did such a did such a wonderful. He's job. truly a, a a brilliant director, like amazing. But this is interesting. He said when he first met you, he expected to meet a sensitive, heartbroken little gay man. Yeah, he's, he. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I met him. He, he met he met a songwriter out of the '30s with a, a grumpy cigar smoking songwriter out of the '30s. <laughs> he said he. Yeah, I met him in London, and uh, another director, Bart Scher, introduced us, and um, he had just seen Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which which was on Broadway and then was in London, and which I wrote. And it's all it's almost all female characters. So I'm I was doing what I do. I was sort mm-hmm. of like getting in the skin of you know <laughs> these characters and writing for heartbroken women. So he in in a in a way, he was being kind of, you know, st- he was kind of stereotyping, you know, or something. He's because right. he's he's a gay guy, you know. Well, he said, "What kind of man can write women right, this, this right. effectively?" So he was he was really nervous meeting me. I remember this because so funny because I think the the show was taught was speaking to things about his life and his relationships at that time. And then he was like, it was he was kind of disappointed when he met me, you know. But he and I. Um, since then we've we have a really uh, a close friendship a lot of it's based on the kind of stuff we're talking about you know weird arcane stuff and he and i came up with a he and i came up with a vaudeville routine um the best possible version of who's on first um which we put which we put online um so you just say uh hey they got these baseball players these days they got crazy names Hey, these baseball players these days have crazy names. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We performed it, you know, you know all over the all over the Speaking Broadway. of baseball, Gilbert would love the Sandy Koufax song. Oh, well. How do you come up with a concept like good for baseball, good for the Jews? Jewish side of the my 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 mother grew up in Long Beach, Long Island. Yeah. A lot of Jews, a lot of Jew, the whole, you know. Mm-hmm. So and I have this side of my family that's, you know, from there, and that's they're, they're all Jewish. So there is this, and then all my friends, not all my friends, a lot of my friends I grew up with in New York are Jewish. Um, so there are a lot of memories of, you know, like people saying, "Is it good for the Jews?" Like I remember when when David Berkowitz, son of Sam, you know, sure. was, when yeah. it, it turned out his name was David Berkowitz, and Ted, my friend Ted Greenberg's father, said, "Nah, that's not good for the Jews." <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. he was adopted, um, 
David. Oh, Burkitt's. I didn't know that yeah. at the time. He, yeah. I think he was he Italian or raised I think by he Italians. He was adopted. I don't think the Berkowitz was. Uh, yeah. that was the family that that, yeah. that that adopted him. Definitely not good for the Jews not, either way. Not no. good for the Jews. No. You can't. You can't. Well, we've been <laughs> we've been suffering for two thousand years, so you can't win. But but um, uh, but I also remember Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball, sure. and remember he used to talk about. You know, well, why why don't you why don't you want players to have their hair below their ear? It's not good for baseball. <laughs> so that's how I that that song just came. Like, is it good for baseball? Everyone has their tribe, and they're all thinking about what's good for what. And then it's just a fever dream of like baseball and Jews. It's great. Like, you know. Roy Cohn wasn't good for the no, Jews. No, 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 definitely not no. good for the Jews. No, not at all. Yeah, not not for one minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I, I don't think the Rosenbergs were good for the Jews. No, either. Ultimately, um, the, you know that we talked about this a lot when we worked on the thing for CBS. But you know, it, it's a show about longing. It's a show about not connecting. Oh, the band's visit. The band's visit. Yeah. I mean, I like what Vulture actually uh, actually had to say about it. They said it's about unhappiness, but it's filled with hope, which is which is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's. Unha- Do you agree with that? No. Well, I agree that it's about hope, but it's. <clears throat> Without, <laughs> I don't want to get too spiritual, but the the thing that attracted me to it uh, when I started falling down that rabbit hole, yeah. you know, was the sense of when a, I'm the happiest when I'm actually connecting with someone. So I can sit at a table, like I can sit at a table with a with a bunch of like comedians or comedy writers and have a great time to connect. You're not really you're connecting on a certain level that's sure. like entertainment. Sure. But if I'm one on one with someone, or even more than one, that's all what we're capable of, by the way. Yes. Gilbert. Well, <laughs> I, I'm sure Gilbert that isn't true. Um, <laughs> men with families, but um, but there's a deeper connection, and and the older I get, the more I realize that not only is that true, but it's incredibly important because that's that's at the absolute root of everything and that's what people are longing for Mm -hmm. when they're longing for spiritual connection so when people are longing for a connection with god um you can find that in with in a connection in a deep connection so where do i find that connection the deepest and that is with music which is a metaphor which is the best possible metaphor for everything we're talking about this oceanic i feeling that there is that that god exists and that it's everywhere, and there's this ocean, and it's love too. So that's what really got me going. And all these people in this in this show, that's what they don't know it. Maybe one of them knows it, mm-hmm. but that's what they're longing for. So when they do connect, even a little bit on a deep level, they and the audience get this. I think get this really wonderful sense. You don't even know what it is. But you lean in, you literally lean forward, absolutely, and you listen to what they're singing and saying, and by the end, you feel it too because you're in a live audience of people. It's not a movie, so you you're interacting with the people on the stage who are interacting with each other because it also has the most amazing world class musicians playing this kind of Arabic tinged music, and you're you're watching them connect because they do a lot of improv improving within songs. So I, I think it's a really unique experience, and every time I see it, I'm sort of pleased. Good. That's yeah. nice. To, that's nice you, to hear. You know, I just got a flashback because I mean, I didn't own that many comedy albums, but I've heard billions of them. And with comedy albums and also music, 
I remember like you'd play a record and you'd hold the record oh, cover tactile. as you were listening yep. to the music yeah. and you would like That's looking at the pictures yeah. and the words on it. I used to go to the Lincoln Center Library because there wasn't a, there wasn't iTunes, you know, I'd go to the Lincoln Center Library from a pretty young age and you could take 10 albums and stack them up, sit down at a little kiosk with really greasy headphones because everyone used the same headphones and listen to anything you want. And a big part of that was that feeling of uh, that feeling of slipping it out, slipping yes. it, and then slipping it out of the uh, dust cover, holding it a certain Absolutely. way, you know, and that and then looking at the looking at this that you could read the type because it was big on the big album cover. And oh. then sometimes gently reaching for the handle where the needle is and putting it to on hear your, the song. On your favorite again. song. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, it's and, like we were in the in the, in the 1800s yes, now yeah. to say those but things. But that feeling of yeah, that feeling of that like feather light little touch of the of the uh tone arm and you have to just carefully and then that yeah, when you put it down. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when you'd go into a record store like Record World, and they would and they would let you hear the single before you bought it. Wow, I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah. But in the and '60s, wasn't those, wasn't that long ago? Those little plastic swastikas that they put <laughs> in the their singles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knew? That's why. That's why we have so much right wing violence now. Is because that was all. <laughs> that was a subliminal. We talk Nazi. about so many things like that on this show. You know the show, and we're we, you know we're so drenched in nostalgia. And he's talking about how you 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 would you know we're talking about the end of those the death of those record stores and albums. But also that Gilbert, what Gilbert talked about before with Top Forty, you could hear Alan Sherman and and Doris Day and uh, uh, you know and the Beach Boys and e- or a song from a show or like a, song a, a song from a show, from a, yeah. a musical, that, yeah, the, on, you, on the charts at the same time. People say you got a, re- a pe- music education. Often you'll get, and everyone get, every composer gets this. Um, some critic or some person will say, "I went out and I." I, I wasn't whistling any of the songs, you know, going out. And I think it was Cy Coleman said, um, you know what? It's not that people – it's not that shows were so great in the old days that they left the show whistling the songs. They they walked in whistling the songs because a lot of the songs were already on the hit parade or already on the radio. So it's almost like psyching yourself up for a rock concert by listening to the band. Um, that's, that gives you a – that gives you a lot of wind at your back if you're a composer of a musical. If people sure. are coming in and they know two or three of the songs because they're sure. hits already. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. How do you sit down to tackle something like writing a theme song for Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, which is goddamn catchy? Has <laughs> <laughs> also stayed with me all these years. Well, that's like, I've done a lot of jingles like mm-hmm. in the past, mm-hmm. and that is almost like a jingle. Um, and part of it is just just trying to come up with something very quickly, you know, because it's about like a little hook or something like that. In this case, I, I wrote it with Sean Altman, who was uh, the founder of Rockapella, which was yeah, the show. Sure. They were the band on the show. Love them. Um, and um, who I've known since we were 16. Like we went to high school together. And uh, I don't, you know, he, we got together and we just started like, I just started banging the piano or I think maybe there was like a drum beat or something like that. And that, that just comes out of the ether kind of. You have a gift for writing a hook. I, I, I know where the hook is. Yeah, that's, and, that's, um, that's handy. Yeah. You know what else? Uh, same thing with like the top five hits, the mixture. 
is like when they had variety shows like Ed Sullivan or any of those things, they would be the things you were waiting for, like the rock group or a comic or whatever, and then other stuff that you were forced to watch. And (laughs) then, but the stuff you were forced to watch that you were dreading, you go, Oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Even a show that was all music, like Don Kirshner's Rock Concert yeah. or the Midnight Special. You sat through bands you didn't like. Yeah. You couldn't fast forward. And it's like on Ed Sullivan and these variety shows, you know, they'd have on an, an opera singer or yeah, yeah. like something, and you go, okay, yeah, all right, that wasn't so terrible. Well, uh, Ed Sullivan also is a... The, the, the old tapes of those or the kinescopes or whatever they, they are are really valuable if you're a... Uh, composer, theater composer, because some of those things that I felt like I was forced to watch in order to get to the band yeah. would be something like, and now the clog dance from the the hit Broadway, and it wasn't a hit, you know, the, no. it was some friend of Ed Sullivan yeah, yes. so who got who <laughs> procured him some bimbo, you know, like you know, and it was and but then you'd be like, holy shit, I never would have seen that, yeah, if it wasn't preserved in in on the Ed Sullivan show, yeah, yeah, very valuable stuff. Last thing about the band's visit, too, is I think... Can I just say one thing? Sure. What I love is when I'm answering a question and I'm looking over at Gilbert and I think he's really interested in the answer I'm giving you about the band's visit or Arabic music, and then he asks a question about the thing we were talking about two things before. <laughs> oh, so, he's on a 27-second, 27-minute delay. But what I love about it is the face that you're making, because you really are thinking, that makes it sound like you're so interested in what I'm saying in the moment. <laughs> But, 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 well, He's catching many, up. What, how many seconds delay? Twenty-seven minutes. Twenty-seven. I'm, I'm listening to my own show in my head. <laughs> oh, so entertaining. Yeah. Oh. He has no idea where we're headed. Oh, so Mario was going to close the Christmas show with a Judy Garland song, and he says about twenty minutes before the the finale, "Hey, maybe you could sing some kind of Judy Garland." <laughs> Number a different one than Mario than Mario had planned. Oh, and when we had on the guy from with uh, the bear, uh, oh Greg Evigan. Oh BJ and the bear. We had Greg Evigan. Yeah. So I didn't hear that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, Early I on. was gonna intr- I was gonna say his name again at the end, and Frank in a panic <laughs> hands me a card in big letters that says Greg because he sees I'm about to say like. Glenn or right, Craig. Right, right. <laughs> well, believe me, when you call me like you know Mike Spazzle or something, I won't. I'll be fine with it. Like, I don't. Don't worry about I'm it. I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions from listeners, and we were going. I was going to ask you this one anyway, but I'll let the listener do it. Sam Barber says, "David, I had the pleasure of seeing the Broadway run of the Full Monty, which featured. I know Gilbert is interested in this, so we'll keep him on this one." Uh, the late great Kathleen, Kathleen Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, yeah. Kathleen stories about working with her. Yeah, Kathleen. Oh, um, she was terrific. She was amazing, and I loved her. And I knew, like, you know, I was with a bunch of. This was my first show, and when she came in to audition, nobody else really in that room knew who she was. They just they knew they sort of knew, but I could see her. You know, I not, not even professor. from Blues Brothers or anything. Oh, like she that. was in a lot of Jerry, lot of Jerry. Lewis. She, she was, was in all, all the, the Jerry time. Lewis yeah. movies, and and she had a really interesting career that I already knew about. Like, she was actually. I think it was MGM used her as an acting coach sometimes. So there's a movie called The Collector. Oh sure, with it's, Samantha. Taron Stamp movie. Taron Stamp. Yeah, it's a sort of a it's sort of like a weird thriller. She's in that? No, she was the 
acting coach oh to God. Samantha Egger, who had to sort of be this prisoner. And, you know, so I got to ask her these. I mean, it was like having her on your show. You know, I was like, how but, cool. But we did a lot of talking about c- comedy response because this was my first show. And you got a show with songs that are, you know, hopefully making an audience of a thousand or more people laugh. Sure. And there's a whole protocol to obviously when you're doing stand-up or when you're doing a, a comedy play about, you know, the timing of laughter. And she just knew it to her bones. So we would be talking about a particular joke and she she would say to maybe one of the other actors, you know what, if you just, if you pause before this word, you'll get you'll get a big laugh and then you'll get a rolling laugh. Like she would just tell you this like is what a will science. happen like a science Great she'd say this is what that. will happen and then it happened so i i loved her and i learned a lot from her unfortunately i think we killed her because <laughs> oh she was in her mid 80s and she refused even when she felt sick she refused to she would do everything so she could an to old sh- pro an, literally an go, old pro show must yeah. go on and she was great and but she would always show up and she would always and even when she was clearly really Something was wrong. She would show up. And I think she just worked herself, you know, overworked it. Um, I, it was a terrible I did, loss. I didn't realize that that's that she was working herself to death. Yeah, I, I think so. What a great talent. That's I, something I, that will never happen to me. <laughs> incidentally. <laughs> <Or> I, <laughs> I remember meeting her at some event. And once again, it was one of these things like people. I, I couldn't believe people weren't crowding around her. Because yeah. to to me and Frank, like these supporting players. Me too, man. I, stars. I was like, you got to understand who we have here. You know, you have to. I've said that to some of the younger actors. Like, you need to understand who this is. And at least watch The Nutty Professor. Well, you know, like, like, like in, well, uh, the line in uh, Death of a Salesman. Attention, attention must, must be, be paid. paid. Yes. I think she's going to sing it in the rain. You could call this podcast "Attention Must Be Paid." That would have I been mean, a, that would have been a better title. No, no, there's and, no better title. <laughs> I can't imagine John Beach doing I, a doing a singing a theme. John for, Beach, I got a question. I for remember John Beach. I went over to Kathleen Freeman, and I I said, you know, I was talking to her, and I said, you know, I I always saw you in the Jerry Lewis movies. And she said, "Yes, Jerry's always been nice to me. Always hired me." And and I had spoken to this band leader, uh, Lou Brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and Lou Brown told me Jerry Lewis is the most hated man in show business. <laughs> well, and, listeners to this show have heard some of those stories. And I, mean. and I said to Kathleen Freeman. I, I heard that Jerry Lewis is the most hated man in show business. And she had this pained look on her face, like a face scrunched up, and she gave me a nod. <laughs> painful, painful nod. So, the, her, so she still had that sense of a meal ticket that yes, she didn't want to. Yeah. yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> like she wasn't going to lie, that's but so great. oh, yeah. That's great. And yet Rupert Holmes fell in love with him. So, oh yeah, that's so, right. So go no. But you were a major Lewis fan. Yeah, I mean, it took. I wasn't initially a Lewis fan. I took first sort of going entering through the sort of irony of the of the telethon of the mm-hmm. telethons and just sort of saying, "What the hell? What strange creature is this?" You know, Webster's Webster's yes, New Collegiate yeah. Dictionary defines a friend as someone who will always be there. When you don't show up for your show at the Vegas, yeah, like yeah, you, yes, you know, yes. you just go on to, the, 
and and it was fascinating. And then he is fascinating. Then through that, realizing that he was actually probably a genius, but then realizing when he had his show, his his t- various talk shows on the air, like he had a daytime talk show that was just so bad. Oh, yeah. oh horrible. And, and most of what made it bad was his own hubris and narcissism. Like, yeah, you're going to love me no matter what I do, you know? But then he was also, there was this show, there was a talk show that wasn't his show, and it was a, 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 a psychologist just interviewing people as a psychologist. So Jerry went on, and Jerry was, Jerry, Jerry was like, the, the guy said something, like, so, you know, king of comedy, that was amazing acting. And he said, no. That isn't acting. And then he went, what do you <laughs> that, That's acting. He goes, he turns it on and turns it off. He goes, what? That's acting. And then he just talks about nightmares he's having about flying a plane between two buildings. And, and then you're like, oh boy, <laughs> this guy. And then you read his autobiography. Yeah. And you're like, what the? At the beginning of the autobiography, he goes to a shrink and he says, you know, I'm very unhappy. You got to help me. And the end of the session, the doctor said, I can help you. I can make you happier. There's only one problem. You will no longer be funny. <laughs> that was the, and that was like. I know, the navel gazing. So self-important. Uh, I, this, I remember. Self-importance, the word. During his talk show, he had on uh, Charlie Callis. What's his sidekick? I saw and, that. On the late night yes. show. When they, did the, when they did Truman Capote and. Well, they did something okay. yeah. else. Yeah. Someone had died around that. And it wasn't anyone that the public would know. He was like some guy known in the business. Right. But no one in the public would know. And Jerry's talking very seriously <laughs> about it. And he says, and I'm thinking, boy, I couldn't write this as a comedy. Jerry says, so I think we should take a moment of silence. <laughs> and I thought a moment. I'm sure the sponsors are whoopee. We're paying for silence. And and then to make it fucking worse, he takes out a. He goes. We'll have a a moment of silence where we'll ponder and have a cigarette. And I thought, have a cigarette. This guy probably, probably died, died of cancer. cancer. <laughs> and I, you're going to have a cigarette to honor him. I, it was, uh, the it whole was show so- is, I mean, for guys like us, that's just, that's better than any episode of The Sopranos. I mean, it's just like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Great it's train wreck. But you, I don't know if you remember this, but every time Charlie Callis would appear next to him, you know, and it was just the two of them, it everything had to start with Charlie Callis saying, I just want to say, this man, he gave me this shot. I love this man. You know, it was it's always the Sammy this, Maudlin show. It was a Sammy Maudlin yeah. thing every yeah. time, yeah. And, every day. Sherry Lewis one time said to the audience, I think on a telethon, he said, you know, I wish some of you could feel the love <laughs> and adoration <laughs> and respect that I'm feeling now. And then he goes... But that's not likely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Perfect. Oh, my God. And so he, 
I became more <laughs> fascinated <laughs> with too. that Jerry Lewis. Yeah. I fell in love with the early funny Jerry Lewis, but I was fascinated for with For me, that it was other the other, for me, it was like working backwards oh, yes, from that. Yes. It was like the psychodrama Jerry Lewis and then working backwards into like, wow, he did this amazing, sh- you know, like the stuff that he did and the stuff that he kind of sometimes improvised with Dean and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm something that they pretended they were improv, but, yeah. you know, that stuff is like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, as much as I, as much as I am not sorry, I never met, you know, there's certain yeah. people I'm really glad I didn't meet yes. certain, um, you know, I feel like my life would have been so much worse had it not been for both sides of Jerry Lewis, yes. you know? Yes, Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Since we brought up John Beach... Oh, well, uh, and well, for our listeners that, that aren't familiar, John does the uh, the the funny interstitials, and now back to our show and all of those those wacky Frank bells and, and whistles. Frank and went out to pee. Dum, 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 that's always him. Be. Yeah. Yes, that's John and Beach. I like the, I like uh, they control you, so give up. Yes, that's my favorite. John doesn't know it, but he actually he actually accidentally ripped me off on one of his things. Uh-oh. It's the one that goes. That's something that I believe I wrote when he and I wrote something. We wrote a uh, a, a short series of f- filthy, gross stuff for kids. Oh wow, John, um, are you listening? Uh, he'll re- well, he'll remember that. He says, David, you spent years as a comedy writer and as a music writer slash producer slash musician before you found your way to success in the theater. How do you feel now, looking back about those grinding times? Did you ever wonder how and if you would find your place? No. Thank you, John Beach. Thanks, John. <laughs> no, I, you know. Care what, to pontificate. What a weird, I mean, that, what a weird question. Is he putting you on? No, he I seems mean. seems sincere. You know, yeah, but, you know, things happen in moments. And it's not like, I don't feel like I ever sat there thinking like, boy, I want to, I got to make it. Like what is making it? You know, someone's yeah, like, yeah, you're just you know, try, you're just trying to do good work. I want success. What is success? I don't. I could, I could have, literally, could have seven hundred million dollars, and you know, live in a you know a big house, and I I wouldn't. I'd feel exactly the same. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like just as miserable. Yeah, yeah, just as yeah. just as sort of strangely, oddly miserable, but not not miserably because I'm longing for more stuff or anything like that. Just, just you know, just there's a conundrum and it's called life, you know, and that's just what that's what it is. Well, yeah. as long as we're talking about being miserable, you want to tell us about working with Larry David? Oh, I, that was a that was actually a, an enjoyable experience. He did a show on Broadway called Fish in the Dark uh, a few years ago, and he starred in it. So it was. Uh, you know, sold out. Like as soon as tickets went on sale, it was sold out for an entire eight months, whatever the run was. And they asked me to do uh, incidental music for it because the scene changes were really long. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Larry David who <clears throat> I know many, many people who who've worked with him or for him, including and, Gilbert, including including Gilbert. Um, but a lot of comedy writer friends of mine and and actors and stuff. And Richard Kind, you know, of course, cousin um, cousin. Uh... Play on that one show? of his great roles, yeah. yeah the yeah. cousin, I can't remember his name now, but he's yeah, wonderful. Like, what's fit? What are we having for lunch? And he's a, he's a guest at someone's house, cousin Howie, maybe. You know? Yeah, something yeah, he's like great. And then and then Cheryl says, um, turkey, and he goes, Oh, no, 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 I had that, I had that yesterday, <laughs> which is actually very close to something Richard Kind himself would say. He's playing himself, yeah, he's playing himself. Um, uh, that was fun because you know, 
I mean, it wasn't fun because Larry David is like the 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 fun guy to hang around. I didn't mean he's really miserable. I meant the character, the The character, the curmudgeon character. But he was pretty happy, and in fact, he there, there was one moment when he was whistling. In the theater, which for some reason is something you're not supposed oh, yeah. to do, and he's just whistling, and he's so happy. And then someone goes, "Nope, you shouldn't be doing that," and he's like, "Ooh," and he stops. And you know, it was just the the thing I remember about Larry David is his center of gravity is just like, it, it, like I've never seen anyone leaning backwards uh, uh, on a like 45 degree angle. I, I mean, you've you've worked with him, yes. like you know, he's like he's standing there, and he looks like he's going to fall over at any minute. But and he walks like the keep on trucking guy from uh, our our crumb. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, now yeah. you you were talking about Richard Kind again, and I'm looking at the, the suppositories, <laughs> the stuff that you got me <laughs> the from swag. the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I you know when I go to like voiceovers or anything. I wind up, you know, grabbing <laughs> candies. I like uh, the expression bre- wind up because it sounds like you're yeah, like yeah. you're releasing your yeah. own agency yeah. there. Yeah. 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 It so just happens I'm, that way. I'm yeah. taking a, I'm taking candies, cans of soda, everything in my bag. And I, a couple of times people have caught me doing it and I say, "Yeah, I'm I'm really bad at stealing stuff." And about three times people have said he, they'd say, no, you're a rank amateur at this. The top one is Richard Kind. Well, first let me say that Richard, I love Richard. Like as much as I love any friend of mine, I love Richard. And I see him a lot because we play poker together and we get together all the time. But um, – <laughs> but I because I got to tell this story. It's a Richard yeah. Kind story. So uh, the the game that I've been playing in for many years, we used to have a a, a, a a protocol where the big winner the week before would bring the snacks for the next week. The snacks, you know, that's a thirty dollar at you know thirty or forty at the most. You know, purchasing of. Uh, chips, you know, no one, we're not expecting, you know, truffled, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, we just, it's just chips and cookies, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, but Richard wasn't, wasn't winning at all, ever. So, but one week he had a great night and he did very well and he won. And I just remember saying after he left, like, I wonder what he's going to bring next week. So fast forward, it's a week later. And we're sitting there. We've been playing for about an hour, an hour and a half. It's probably nine o'clock. We knew Richard was coming late, but we were so we didn't bring snacks in there. But we knew he was bringing the snacks, so we were all very hungry, you know. <laughs> and Richard shows up, and he's got a, a shopping bag, and he puts the shopping bag on the table <laughs> next to the poker table, and he pulls out what in what looked like and indeed was that kind of really cheap thin Tupperware, <laughs> and he's got so there's. There's two, there's there's two Tupperwares. <laughs> then he pulls out one bag of pita chips, already open. Already open. So it's open, but he's taken he's 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 taken a lot of care to curl up the top. So when he puts it down, the cut the top kind of gently uncurls a little. So so then. So then I go over there. I'm the first one there to look at what what there is. And I open one of the little Tupperwares. And there's like these kind of roasted peppers, you know, two different colors of roasted peppers and with little flecks of feta cheese on it. Not not real, just flecks. 
And then I open the other, and it's just, it's a tub. It's all, all it is is white. This is a callback to the cheese stuff. It's white and orange cubes of cheese. No one at a, no one at a real party ever, you know, only at like art openings or something. In fact, I said, Richard, have you just been to an art opening? And he said, no. And I said, but you've just been to some party or something. He goes, yeah, yeah. And he's like, so this is this. These are the snacks you're bringing to us, and he goes, "Oh, yeah, this is this is better than anything we I could have I could have bought." He's like, "These are quality snacks," and and I said, "Richard, you don't bring used food to the poker game." And, <laughs> now Richard's going to hear this, oh and he's going to be like really pissed that I that I told the story, but it really is a good story. And then and I have to say, the next week he came back with beautiful brand new shining chips and stuff <laughs> just so that people like me wouldn't tell this story and there's many stories like it oh you know God. so i i remember we when i him. first told the story <laughs> about how when people are saying no there's someone who steals a lot worse <laughs> oh than my you God, he's gonna kill us and i was always be like uh, well, who? And they go, well, I don't really want to say. And then I go, come on. And I they think go, it was Richard Rosa. Kind. And, and one, one time after I told that story on the podcast, Richard Kind confronted the guy who told me and said, why did you tell Gilbert that, that I steal from I honestly, I've never seen him steal. I've seen him. He he always asks, you know, and then he and he takes. But hilarious. But but you know, but he's so generous in every other way. And I suspect you're like that too. I mean, he has the biggest heart in the world. So oh, yes, he's been great to I, our I forgive show. him everything except that one night of the used food. I can't forgive that. This I do not forgive. This I do not forgive. <laughs> Thank you, Don Corleone. You're welcome. Oh. You like that, huh, Gil? Yes. <laughs> He's one of the, the gifts of, uh, you know, Richard is one of the gifts of my life. I love the fact that that he's a friend of mine. I love we're, that. we're so glad that we know him and the way he came into into the the, the show. He just he, we contacted Dara out of the blue one day and he said, "I love this show so much. I want to be on the show. I want to be on the show." And it was, <laughs> you know, you know, you're doing this thing. You don't know who's listening to it. It was a, it was that I'll was a bit you, of a I'll turning be, point I'll for us. I'll be very good. I know I have a I have good stories. <laughs> I won't be. I I'm trying, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it, it, it meant something to us, and and he's been very generous in terms of booking guests, helping us get Joyce Van Patten and oh and, yeah, and, and uh, Barbara Barry and many other people. The first thing he ever said to me was when I was we were we were getting together just to sort of make sure that we wanted to work with each other on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and the first thing he said to me was, "Now you have to understand, I'm very loud." <laughs> <laughs> Pierco's <laughs> uh, impression of him is it's so good just... that I'm, I'm embarrassed to even no, try. No, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Pierco's is perfect. Azaria does a great Richard Kind, um, but Pierco's is, is better. We'll have to we'll have to get Hank on. Well, and, we did, you and know, compare them. Years ago, there was this uh, there was this night this uh, weekly nightclub thing called Don't Quit Your Night. Don't quit your night job. So everyone who was in shows on Broadway and off Broadway would show up and sometimes perform. And I was invited to sing a song. Mm -hmm. So I was there, but Azaria was there. I think Bierko was there. And some other people, oh, uh, a couple other actors who 
Well, everyone who's met Richard does a Richard Kind imitation. And uh-huh. the last part of the evening <laughs> yeah, after yes. everyone sang and stuff was called Richard Kind Theater. <laughs> and I, I might have been Hank's idea. I don't remember whose idea it was, but someone just gave out scripts to a glass menagerie <laughs> and did, you know, one of the scenes, like the gentleman caller scene, you know, before it. And Hilarious. everyone, inclu- everyone, including me, was doing it a Richard Kind impression as the characters. And then when the gentleman caller shows up, it's Richard Kind himself <laughs> comes out. That's the punchline. Sorry, I, we spent a lot of time on Richard. No, you listen, got all those note people, cards. People over there. who love this show love Richard, yeah. and and he's and he's become a recurring character. He said, "Make me your Tony Randall." I can't. You can't. <laughs> yeah. This is what I love yeah. too. He said, "You can't book me. You can't call me and say come do the show." Only in an emergency, if you if a guest cancels. Oh, <laughs> it's right. like, oh, so we can't actually schedule right. you. See, I want to be your Bob Hope where I just walk in. Fine. Just walk into Do the it. Get you a golf club. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was doing a special across the hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Tootsie, which is which is coming in the spring. Um, well, we took uh, we took an iconic comedy film that no one should ever adapt, and we adapted it. And I think we it, it I mean, we did really well in Chicago. I think I actually think we did a really good job. I think it's great. What we wanted to do was just make the funniest possible show we could make. So it it veers a lot from the original movie, um, which is a funny movie. Not not one of my favorite comedies. Like some people, it's in their top three. Not, it's not in my top three. Interesting. Um, but <clears throat> we took it, and you know, it's 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 definitely modern. We we changed a lot of stuff. It it retains the main ideas and the main characters and um well the timing you know, is interesting too for that the story. timing when we started writing it <laughs> you know it was pre yeah me too me too yeah now it's me too and that really became very interesting everything became we were still finishing it off and polishing it off and uh <clears throat> we made some interesting choices because of the the you know atmosphere that, that of course just now i think i think it's funny i think it's the funniest show I've written, so I'm I'm very happy. That's with it. great. March, A- yeah. A- March. Previews in March. We open April 23rd. Gilbert, we have to go see the Tootsie musical. Okay, free tickets. Yeah, free. Okay, I'll <laughs> He's be there. In. Yeah. I think I think I can get your raisinets too. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> raisinets. <laughs> yeah. What's that from? I don't know. Harvey Corman in Blazing Saddles when he's trying oh, to avoid raisinets. The- raisinets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, Mel Brooks. Well, Mel Brooks always loved raisinets. He always would put that. I think the two thousand year old man. has raisinets. Yeah, that's a funny word, yeah. I guess. I, I threw, um, I threw something at Mel Brooks and hit him uh, on the head. Um, <laughs> Great. When 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 the producers when the Full Monty opened, the producers opened the same year. So when we opened, when Full Monty opened. All the reviews were great, and everyone was saying you're going to win all the Tony Awards. This is my first show, and I'm like, "Wow, I'm, I've made it!" You know, that's great. And then the producers came out, you know, and it was like <laughs> a steamroller. And so, you know, I, I I was naturally a little peeved at my one of my comedy heroes, Mel Brooks. Um, but uh, we were we were it was the it was a photo the day to take photos of the nominees at Radio City. So there's that giant staircase in Radio City. And there's however many, you know, 100, 200 nominees. And and we all get there on time. It's kind of hot. We're all posing on these stairs. And we're, we realize at one point we've been there for 15, 20 minutes. And why? And someone says it's because Mel Brooks is late. And Mel Brooks was like all, the thing that year. 
And then he shows up and he's like 20, 25 minutes late and he breezes in, he's fresh as a daisy, he's got a suit on, stands right at the front at the bottom step. And I'm about halfway up. It's a, it's a long distance. And uh, one of the guys in the Full Monty, I think Patrick Wilson said, I bet you can't hit him on the head with a uh, spitball. And, um, and I, had this, uh, I had this receipt from a hotel breakfast, like this nice card stock. And I balled it up and I threw it as hard as I could. And it just winged right off his head. It just went boom. And he didn't even turn around. But, but it, was in the, it was in the post the next day. Hilarious. So I know it happened because it actually was, you know, like it's not a dream that I yeah, had. You know? That's your interaction with Mel Brooks. Yeah. Pretty good. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's my only interaction. Do you want to, uh, I'm going to give you a wild card question here yeah. as, as, as we wind down. Sure. Uh, do you want to talk about the baby it's cold outside uh, controversy? Do you want to address that? That stupid, yeah. that stupid thing? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's really stupid. I mean, it, first of all, it's, it's one of the great, it's probably the the my favorite duet, boy girl duet. It's a wonderful ev- song. Ever. It's witty. It's Frank Lesser who is my hero, my my musical theater songwriting hero, um, and you know it's we're we're in this climate of such hair trigger political correctness that it, and I don't usually say I I heard you talking about it with. Um, not a tell. There was some. You were talking. I mean, all. Well, we just asked Mario about it, and he had a similar comedians reaction. Comedians are always are always talking. Oh, about I was it. talking with Howie Mandel. Howie That's Mandel, what it was. Yeah. yeah. But I don't care if you're if you're a comedian, whether you're gay or straight or what. You know, you you. you it, the reaction is the same. It's like what what uh, what lunacy are we living in right now? So the fact that some and part of it, a large part of it is social media. The fact that someone can go on and say, now listen, this song is, you know, there's these problems without really having any background, without understanding. Everybody gets a voice. Hey, what's in this drink? That's like that's in like fifty movies. Like that's yeah. that's like a punchline, of you course. know. So like every Dean Martin thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, a, and a million rom coms. Or Jackie Gleason sipping the coffee cup and, and making right. a face. Exactly. Like, Whoa. And it's not saying like, oh, I've spiked the drink and it's a roofie, so it I just can... might be a little stiff for me, is basically right. what she's it, saying. Exactly. So um anyway, it the controversy is over now. You know, like it was so stupid that I think it just went boom. Well, just I was saying last over. night, you know, the internet gives everybody that instant access. In the old days you had to sit down and write a letter. That's right. If yeah. you wanted to complain or yeah. boycott and, a, or boycott a sponsor, and, took effort. And, and years ago, I remember you grew up. There were the commentators, the writers, the newscasters, uh, the columnists, and you knew they were respected people. They knew what they were talking about, mm-hmm. and you respected that. Now everybody is yeah, that. There's no there's no funnel a- anymore. You know, it's the same thing with music. It gets very confusing because you used to have you used to have like FM radio where you'd have DJs whose taste you admired. You know, and they would funnel. They would sure. be the curators of this stuff. And it's the same thing with this kind of stuff. Um, it's a free for all. <laughs> it's a, it's a free Pretty for much. all. Pretty uh, much. Uh, and it's it, it's it's not good. It's no, the culture's poorer for it. And, yes, and for not and for not having DJs. Yeah, for not having cousin Brucey and, and yeah. Ron Lundy and Harry Harrison and and yeah. the the professor and all those people that were curators. That's a good word for them. Yeah, and it's the same thing with sort of op ed type people and you know so uh, everybody is. Um, what was that Gilda Radner character? Um, 
Oh, Rosanna, Rosanna. Down. No, oh, the one that was no. offended, Emily oh, Latella. Oh, yeah, oh. everybody's Emily Latella, and no one's correcting her and saying, and then, and then no one ever says never mind. Yeah, you know, at the end. And on the subject of Christmas, and I just is just for me. What's what's a perfect Christmas song in the opinion of David Yazbek, other than Lesser's song? Could be a pop song like Little Saint Nick or uh, or Stevie Wonder or Hugh Martin's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Well, that's a nice Which one. Which is my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I like the original. What moves you? The original lyrics to that one are <clears throat> are beautiful. Before Frank changed it to Hang a Shining Star Upon the Highest. Well, you know, the original lyrics to that song, th- those were, it was written during World War II. And so it was like, we'll, we'll all be, t- um, through you the know, years. Through well, the years, well, but but it was all about we miss you, we're not together. You know, someone's mm-hmm. at war, someone's, you know. So you just had this sense of uh, of we don't know what's going to happen because things could be dark. So it's a darker feeling and yeah. and it's much deeper, the yeah. original lyrics. It's a beautiful song with, with a really lovely melody. So I'm going to say that one since you you pulled that I, one out. Well, so. I, I got to correspond with him in the, at, the, at the end of his life. Really? Uh, yeah, my, my friend Drew Friedman. Uh, connected oh, I'm a us. big fan of Drew Friedman, incidentally. Well, we could, we'll come back and we'll do another show. little dots. About that. Jew dots. Uh, yes, that's what Judah I used dots. to call them, Jew dots. Jew dots. Jew dots. <laughs> <laughs> you have a fan here, Drew. This is the last question from Sean Liu. When can we expect David to do a musical adaptation of the Gilbert documentary? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I, I, uh... <laughs> Did you see the doc? Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Oh, it was great. It was fascinating. It, it was nice. It was very nice. I came in here th- feeling like I kind of know you, you know, because of the documentary. It's a really interesting documentary and really well made. Yeah, Neil did a wonderful I job. I was I really lucked out with the when I was Neil Berkeley. Yeah. I really lucked out that he's really a good filmmaker. Can can you imagine if you if you didn't look at it. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, I've seen some horrible documentaries. Yeah, I mean not one second of it is boring, and I've seen some really boring documentaries about some really interesting people. Um, so you did luck out. Can I? Can I just? It's called Gilbert. Okay, it's called Gilbert. Get the plug um, out. So I'm glad I'm in a room with you because I have this memory <laughs> of an appearance that you did on a television show, PBS television show. But I think it was a documentary that they showed on PBS called something like Jewish Humor in America. Yes, yes. And I think about it all the time, literally, because someone just asked, they, they asked different people, so what is Jewish humor in America? Like, it wasn't a very imaginative question because that was the title of it, but they'd ask Mel Brooks and he'd do like the comb, the Hitler thing, you know, yeah. they'd ask someone else, you know, they asked you and there's this kind of pause, you're sitting at a, like an oak desk <laughs> on a desk chair <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're just like, you look thoughtful for a second and then you basically start davening and just going, it's raining outside. It's raining outside. Are you happy? Are you happy? You see what you did? It's night. The sun's not up. You see what you did? Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Did you? Yeah. Just, was that just in the moment? Yeah, I mean, it just came to me at the moment. Like, because they said, like, with Jews, you know, you have to put a guilt trip. Like, the parents put the guilt. Was make the, the, it's like, and it's I, like, that, that. The dinosaurs are all dead. You know why? You did it. You did it. You're the reason. And you're there's rocking no back and forth doing this. The whole time. 
<laughs> it was great. David, this was a treat. A treat for me. Thank you. And a lot of, we didn't get to Happy Kine or uh, Billy Wilder another time. Yeah. Like, what's the plug? Tootsie's I think your ratings are going to go so high up after this episode that enormous. you're going to want me back soon. Probably. Enormous. Yeah. Uh, Tootsie comes in the spring. April 23rd for Tootsie. People the band, go see the band's visit. The band's visit's on, you know, we're, we're running nicely on Broadway. And please, if you're a Grammy voter, I would, I'd love to have a Grammy award. So vote for the cast <laughs> album. The voting is happening now. Gilbert's so. an EGOT. I don't know if you knew that. Are you an EGOT? Yeah. I am. Yeah, he has, a, yeah he has, you, you know, all four awards. You have oh, the Emmy, oh, the Grammy, oh, the Oscar. Oh, okay, you yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Streisand. I know that the Oscar was hard, but you finally made it. It was hard. With the documentary. He lost a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those are those are the, those are are the my only plugs. Well, I, yeah. I was once up for an Ace Award. That's about the only Oh, my award. God, the Cable Ace and Award. And I lost. Even I have oh. an Ace Award. <laughs> Do you know what? I just said the word plug, and I just remember that someone just mentioned the an Arabi, the Arabian strap. Do you know what that is? No. Sounds good. That's like you have a butt plug, and and <laughs> and to keep right. the butt plug in, there's this. It's connected to like a strap that you put around the front, wow. so, so it won't fall out when you're on the subway or something. On <laughs> the subway. Arabian Why is strap. It Arabian. I don't know. Okay. Uh, a, a, a guy I'm riding. Uh, a um an LGBT gentleman that I'm writing with uh, described that to me. Uh, he also introduced me to the concepts of the humbler. Have you seen what the humbler is? I couldn't begin. I would to like to just say, look guess. it up. The, the humbler. humbler. It's not like a tumbler. No, it's not a tumbler <laughs> or a trumbler. It's the humbler. It's okay. it's you put Gene Balos in your ass. <laughs> I got a glass tube in my prick. Uh, David, what a kick. And thanks for sending me those songs. I love them, as as you know. Thank you. They reminded me of sort of a Fagan-Becker kind of uh, sensibility. I'm I'm not ashamed. I'm a Steely Dan fan. Really good stuff. And we could go on. But. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santopadre and our engineer Frank Verderosa. And we have had the multi-talented Jew, Arab, Tiny, David Yesbeck. <laughs> Who brought you suppositories? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, they're very thin, so they're very easily. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank you, David. Happy New Year. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Very enjoyable. Is it hard to sleep underneath the heap, underneath the heap that you're under? Is it hard to relate when you masturbate? Is it difficult to feel the thunder? Under patio gravel and the plastic grapes, novelty soaps in assorted shapes. Up in the playroom with the metrical drapes, everybody can hear you screaming. Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good to choose the electric fuse for your underused libido? Is it right to explore when the trigger's sore on your Bangalore torpedo? The dugout's empty and the pitcher's dead. Who still remembers what the first said? Who put the liver in the wedding bed of the designated is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews?
That's the story of, that's the glory of 5,000 years in the major leagues. So I'm wondering, as I'm pondering, where else can I go? That's the quarrel of 5,000 years on the L.I.E. So I'm sitting here like I'm quitting here. Where else could I go? Let me go. Let me go. Oh! And it's hard to sleep underneath the heap, underneath the heap I'm under. It's hard to relate with your head on a It's difficult to feel the thunder With the bases loaded and the score all tied Who still remembers how the pitcher died? Was it the bill with the cyanide? Was it the pretzel with the cheese inside? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good for the Jews? Is it good for baseball? Is it good can cancel the ban cause the moil got a boil on my meat in his hand is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good for the juice is it good for baseball is it good Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn 